the government, federal government, rose to the challenge, and this is a great success story. Uh, and, and I think that that's really, you know, what needs to be told. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it, Jared. It's a great success story. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Oh, man. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't, Jared. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Success story. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe, even during pandemics, on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com, with another thrilling episode of the Bradcast your radio to quarantine by. And I hope you are all staying indoors and all staying safe. We got a boatload of news to get to today. For a change. For a change, yes. <laughs> Hi, Desi. Hi. But let's start here. Uh, on uh, yesterday's broadcast, we reported on the, uh, well, what we will call Election Day or Election Days in both Maryland, where there was a special election for the U.S. House to fill the vacant seat left behind by Baltimore's uh, late Democratic Congressman Elijah Cummings and the election for the previously postponed statewide election, presidential and congressional primary elections in Ohio, which held its final day of voting on Tuesday with most votes, as in Maryland, cast by absentee ballot due to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Maryland mailed ballots to uh, for the special election to all registered voters in the state's 7th Congressional District. Ohio sent ballots only to those who filled out and sent in an absentee ballot request form. Both states are run by Republican governors. Both states greatly expanded the ability for voters to use absentee ballots in the middle of a pandemic. In Maryland, the uh, three jurisdictions that make up the 7th Congressional District said that they planned to quarantine absentee ballots for 24 hours after receiving them and before counting them. And in Ohio, the state will continue to accept absentee ballots that were postmarked by Monday of this week. That was the day before the final election day for up to 10 days 
after Election Day on Tuesday. Thus, as I noted yesterday on the program, it would be a while before final results were available in both of those states. Nonetheless, both moved ahead with computer tabulation of the ballots that were already in and had met any quarantining restrictions. And based on that, media outlets have, in fact, called their winners in the uh, top two contests in, in the states which was frankly not difficult to do in these two particular races, given the margins that they are reporting anyway, none of which, I will note, are actually verified as accurate by human beings, but rather all these ballots are all tallied by computer optical scan systems that count the hand-marked paper ballots either correctly or incorrectly. That cannot be known unless human beings actually bother to count these ballots. So... With all of those caveats out of the way, <laughs> according to the tallies currently being reported in each state, Democrat uh, will start in Maryland. Democrat Kwasi Mfumi, a former NAACP leader and five term congressman who held Elijah Cummings seat in Baltimore until uh, he, uh, he dropped out to run unsuccessfully for the U.S. Senate. He defeated Republican Kimberly Classic in Maryland in that special election, which means Mfume will be returning to the seat that he held before he left Congress and uh, when uh, Cummings won that seat. So he will be back, at least if these numbers hold up, and I think they will because, frankly, it was a rout, according to the currently reported numbers, which were pretty much as expected in this very Democratic-leaning district with Mfume defeating classic 73% to 27%. Yeah, I'd say that's a route. You think? That would be a 46-point margin, at least with 86% of the ballots tallied. Uh, no matter how many late ballots come in, however, uh, and will then be quarantined before tabulation for 24 hours, it is wildly unlikely that the ultimate results will change here. So Mfumi will, in fact, finish out Cummings' term, at least if the U.S. House ever actually meets again in person or at least establishes remote voting, which, frankly, Nancy Pelosi should have seen to long ago. Mfumi is also running again this November for a full term. And then we move to Ohio, where, according to AP, Joe Biden has won the state's presidential primary, clinching a contest that was arguably less about the Democratic nomination and more about how states can conduct elections in the era of the coronavirus. Though there has been a, a strong push by Bernie Sanders and his supporters as he remains on the ballot, even after suspending his campaign and endorsing Joe Biden, uh, a push to rack up as many delegates as possible in the remaining primaries in order to strengthen their position, their leverage in uh, in several of the task forces that the two campaigns are now jointly working on together to come out with uh, positions for the platform for the party's platform concerning uh, the economy, climate, health care and much more. That, as they hope to develop a progressive platform, at least the Sanders folks do, as, as progressive as possible, and in hopes of finding unity between the progressive and centrist factions of the party. The contest in Ohio was, as expected, a, uh, a route as well. Really? Yep, according to the currently reported numbers, anyway, with what the New York Times describes as 99% of the votes in 
Biden defeated Sanders 72% to 17%, according to the unverified tallies, which, uh, if they stay as is, would result in 96 national delegates for Joe Biden and just four for Bernie Sanders. Hmm. I wonder how much Sanders' early exit from the race will uh, change the turnout for him at the primary. Well, that and, of course... Coronavirus is uh, making a big difference. This was the first major test in Ohio, the first major test of statewide elections via mail amid an outbreak, at least in a state which has not done that previously, uh, such as the five states, uh, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Hawaii and Utah, who already hold all vote by mail elections. Uh, There were reports of confusion in Ohio, but no widespread disruption, according to AP. That, unlike the disaster in Wisconsin earlier this month, when voters were forced by the Republican legislature and the Republicans on the state Supreme Court and the Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court to vote in person, ordered essentially to overlook, ignore social distancing guidelines unless they wanted to have their vote suppressed, and being forced to stand in hours-long lines while wearing masks to cast their ballots at the few consolidated polling places where jurisdictions were able to come up with enough brave poll workers to man those those polling places. At least the number is now up to, I think, you, Desi Doyen, you said 52 is yes. the number in uh, Wisconsin. That's statewide in Wisconsin? That is statewide in Wisconsin. 52 is the number that the state health department says have now tested positive for COVID-19. Most of them are in Milwaukee County. They say they can't guarantee that all of them were from the uh, the primary election, but they all were at the primary these, election. These were all voters or poll workers right. in the primary. Now 52 of them have developed have develop- coronavirus. Have, de- have developed symptoms having them seek a test for it. That does not count people who were asymptomatic and, of course, didn't seek a test. Correct. So it's probably higher than 52. And, of course, those 52 have begun to give it to their families and their friends and Community spread. Yes. But the uh, GOP attempt at voter suppression may may have made people sick. It may, in fact, uh, kill people. It did not apparently uh, reach their, their aims there in Wisconsin to uh, keep their far right wing member of the state Supreme Court in his seat. He was, in fact, defeated, replaced by a progressive in Wisconsin amid the uh, low turnout election, understandably low turnout. But the overall turnout in Ohio was surprisingly strong, at least according to the Republican secretary of state there, Frank LaRose, while his office said about one and a half million votes had been cast as of midday Saturday. That is down sharply from the 3.2 million that were cast in Ohio's 2016 presidential primary. But LaRose has uh, said that some larger counties received tens of thousands of additional ballots on Tuesday. So we will see what those turnout numbers really are, I guess, in a few days after the 10 day period in Ohio for ballots to still arrive as long as they were sent by Monday or postmarked by Monday. LaRose said it was better than okay. It was great. Well, we will see how great the turnout numbers, uh, you know, great may have a very different meaning for Republicans versus Democrats this year when it comes to turnout this year and frankly every year for that matter. So we will see. The primary was originally scheduled for March 17. It was delayed 
uh, just hours before polls were supposed to open that day, with uh, Republican Governor Mike DeWine citing a health emergency and then uh, recommending that in-person balloting not be held until June 2. But then, of course, there was legal wrangling from other Republicans, and so officials ended up moving the balloting to this week while converting to a mostly mail-in process since the state remains under a stay-at-home order with those who had not received their absentee ballots in time uh, or were homeless or disabled and needing help to vote. They were able to do so, in theory, at the boards of election in each of the state's counties, at least if they could get there by Tuesday. Most Ohioans uh, casting absentee ballots had to run at least three pieces of mail uh, through the U.S. Postal Service, an application for that ballot, a blank ballot that had to then come to them, and then they had to send a completed one back. So that all went through the U.S. Postal Service, which is itself on the brink of bankruptcy, I guess we can call it, uh, thanks to the COVID crisis. And Congress has failed to yet bail out the U.S. Postal Service even though they will be needed in a very big way this November in all 50 states and even in the 20 or so still upcoming primary elections that we'll have in the next few months in states across the country. Short of a bailout here, the, the post office does not actually take taxpayer dollars, even though Republicans in Congress forced some major and crippling financial restrictions on the post office a few years ago. The post office makes all of their money by you buying stamps. So right now, as they're facing trouble and said they could have to shut down entirely as of as early as June or uh, at least by September or October, if there's not some sort of bailout uh, from Congress. Short of that, hey, here's an idea. Next time you're out at the grocery store or wherever it is you are allowed to go or you can do this online. Yes, you can. I did it. Buy a roll of stamps. Please. Even if you don't need them right now, you'll use them eventually. Yes, you will. The uh, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law said that they fielded calls and complaints during the uh, Ohio voting. They have now called on Ohio to mail ballots directly to eligible voters in the future, as some other states do, rather than require people to apply and then wait for one to come and all of that. So far, that proposal has, of course, you'll be shocked to learn, been rejected by the Republican-controlled state legislature in the Buckeye State. Moving to a mail-in primary on the fly was watched around the country as states with upcoming elections. As I said, about 20 of them still have primaries, and all 50 of them are going to have to vote somehow this November. It was watched very closely to see how uh, how this can be done, how this can be done uh, quickly, and how states can... Uh, uh, fulfill one of the most basic functions of American democracy, that would be voting, even while battling the coronavirus's spread. Jen Miller, the head of the League of Women Voters in Ohio, said it will be impossible to know how many people actually stayed home because they did not get a ballot in time. She said, uh, we've had people waiting weeks and weeks for absentee ballots to arrive. That, of course, is just one of the reasons I am personally no fan of vote-by-mail elections because of all sorts of problems that can happen along the way from the post office and then back to the county. In this case, however, obviously, 
given the crisis we're going through, it seems to me that is the only even close to safe way we'll be able to vote this year. So watching how these states do it and learning, hopefully learning lessons from each of these primary elections that will be see uh, that we'll see uh, happening over the next few weeks and months is going to inform us about what we need to do this November. It'll be valuable information that many Republicans around the country will then quickly and completely ignore because, you know, turnout tends to go up if you have all vote by mail elections and Republicans do not do well the more that people actually vote. And it's important to contact your county elections administrators and let them know that you would like them to expand vote by mail and that you're actually counting on it because I think public pressure actually works. As to other presidential election news today, yes, we actually have quite a bit of it. First, let me go here. Let's start with the uh, well with on the, the horse race aspect here a little bit. Donald Trump's approval ratings for his handling of the coronavirus has dropped 10 points from just last month after an initial bump, according to a new Emerson College poll out today. Just 39 percent of those surveyed approved of Trump's effort to tackle the outbreak. Thirty nine percent. That is a drop from 49 percent last month in the same poll. The uh, poll released on Tuesday found that 51 percent said they disapproved of the president's handling of the virus. That is a jump from 41 percent in March. So that's if I'm doing my math right. I believe that's a 20 point swing in one month with Trump's approval on handling the crisis going from plus eight last month to about uh, 11 points underwater this month on that score. So uh, his attempt at distractions are not going well. Well, uh, if, if I have time for it, Des, I'm going to try. I've been trying all week to get to that Stephen Colbert clip. I want to try to get to that. <laughs> But whatever it is, those distractions, they don't appear to be working, at least when it comes to uh, the public's approval of the job that Trump is doing regarding the coronavirus. The uh, uh, president's overall approval rating has also ticked downwards since last month, dropping from 46 percent to 41 percent. So that's a five point drop, not as high as the drop in his handling of the uh, coronavirus epidemic. The uh, drops come after Trump's overall approval rating had leapt very briefly to new highs due to the so-called rally around the flag effect uh, as coronavirus initially struck before dropping back down to the low to mid 40s range that it has pretty consistently been stuck in since 2017. Despite the approval rating drops, however, Trump's handling of the coronavirus does not seem to be hindering his reelection campaign, according to this same Emerson poll. So if you think that uh, coronavirus is uh, bad news for Donald Trump, well, maybe, maybe not. According to numbers, former Vice President Joe Biden maintains a six point lead in the general election nationally, according to this poll. But that is the same differential that it was last month. So uh, Biden has neither gained nor lost. Neither has uh, Donald Trump over this past month, despite this huge plummet in the uh, in the public's perception of his handling of the coronavirus. Now, please note, this is a national poll. 
And as I always point out, we do not run national elections. We run state-by-state elections. So don't take too much from the head-to-head numbers there uh, between Biden and Trump other than um, the numbers on the COVID crisis, at least nationally. Uh, it does not appear to have had too much of an effect yet on the national numbers anyway. Emerson uh, suggests that the lack of change in those head-to-head numbers might be explained in part by a yawning enthusiasm gap they describe between Democrats and Republicans with just 45 percent, just 45 percent of Joe Biden voters saying that they are very or extremely excited to support Joe Biden in the general election. That while 64 percent of Donald Trump backers say that they are very or extremely excited to support Donald Trump in November. Got that? I am not surprised, but I do find the uh, numbers disturbing. I think you should. Uh, Spencer Kimball, director of the Emerson College uh, poll, said that while Trump is struggling to handle the coronavirus epidemic, it appears Biden has his own image issues with voters and may need help from former President Obama on the campaign trail to try and transfer the positive image that voters have of Obama over onto Biden. I might add that he could also use some help from a uh, progressive vice presidential candidate if he decides to choose one, that that might help win over progressive uh, Bernie Sanders supporters to his side. That cause was not helped by Democrats, two Democrats, by the way, just two Democrats on the New York State Board of Elections. Their recent vote to um, remove essentially the presidential primary from the state's upcoming primary elections, which Bernie Sanders had specifically told the board that he was against, even though he's uh, suspended his campaign has endorsed Joe Biden. He told the board that, and as he told everyone in America, he is not dropping out of the race. He is suspending his campaign, but he wants to stay on that ballot to amass delegates to help make the party more progressive, essentially. And that seems to me that it would be good for Democrats. It at least would be good uh, for bringing over some, uh, you know, dyed-in-the-wool Bernie Sanders supporters uh, over to uh, to voting for Biden. So Bernie told him, told them, the New York board, that he was against this decision. And they voted this week anyway to essentially uh, kill the uh, presidential primary election in New York. Uh, and Sanders was not the only one who was against this move. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, the state Democratic Party, the DNC, And even Joe Biden's campaign have all said that they did not seek this change in New York. They did not request it. The Democrats on the state board of elections, again, just two of them were able to make this vote uh, for everyone. Uh, They claim they were doing so in order to decrease turnout because they thought that makes it safer to vote in this year's primary. That even though Governor Cuomo has ordered that all registered voters be sent an absentee ballot for a New York statewide primary election. The Sanders campaign was outraged by this, as we reported earlier in the week, called it a blow to American democracy. 
said that it must be overturned by the DNC. They have now petitioned the DNC to do exactly that. Whether the DNC has the power to do it uh, is unclear to me, though the DNC does have the power to essentially suspend all of the delegates from New York entirely and not allow them to uh, to participate in the Democratic National Convention. Also, uh, Sanders supporters like New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's furious about it. And she called it an extremely dangerous precedent with a president in the White House who might get similar ideas about, you know, just canceling elections because we got a crisis going on. AOC tweeted that it was, quote, extremely destructive to the process of unifying the party for November. And on Tuesday... One former Democratic candidate actually stepped up to take legal action in response. Now, before I go to that legal action, Desi Doyen, you're looking at me I'm just askance. Wonder- I am just wondering yes. why the State Board of Elections, the Democrats on that, would do such a thing. I think a lot of people are. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening askance as well, wondering for that very, wondering about that very same thing. Nonetheless, uh, the cause, as I said, got some, got some help on uh, Tuesday. Andrew Yang, remember him? Oh, yeah. The former presidential candidate is now suing the New York State Board of Elections in federal court after the State Election Commission effectively canceled the Democratic presidential primary there. Yang, along with seven New Yorkers who filed to serve as Yang delegates to the Democratic National Convention, they also filed suit on Monday arguing that they should not be removed because they had otherwise met the requirements to be on the ballot. And we're talking about so sort of the way that it works in New York. It's it's kind of confusing. The actual delegates names are on the ballot. So Hmm. they're the ones who are actually being removed from the ballot. And uh, now uh, Andrew Yang is suing along with them on their behalf. The decision to remove Yang, uh, quote, denies voters due process and denies voters the right to vote and therefore must be invalidated, according to the lawsuit that was obtained last night by Politico. Uh, It notes that neither Yang nor the delegate candidates asked to be removed from the ballot. So they were just removed. The New York State Board of Elections effectively canceled the primary on Monday when the two Democratic commissioners voted to strip every candidate except for former Vice President Joe Biden off the ballot because they were uh, no longer seeking the presidency. And apparently there was an obscure part of New York law that allows this to be done. The suit filed by Yang also argued that axing the uh, Democratic presidential primary would hurt down ballot candidates as well arguing that canceling the presidential primary would be, quote, suppressing voter turnout as voters will have less incentive to vote if they cannot cast a vote for the highest office in the land and thereby negatively impact challenger candidates, such as Jonathan Herzog, who is running a long-shot primary bid against Democratic uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler in New York's 10th Congressional District. Well, you know, is another long-shot Democratic candidate who ran about two years ago. Some New York uh, now New York congresswoman by the name of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who unseated a longtime um, uh, incumbent Democrat in the House. So those long shot primary bids actually uh, can amount to something and they will be affected 
uh, by uh, what is being done here. Herzog is also a party to this particular lawsuit. New York's presidential primary was originally scheduled for April 28th. It was postponed and then consolidated with the state's other federal and state primaries on June 23. And in one other piece uh, of, of perhaps even more substantive presidential election news today, told you we had a lot of it. This one could really shake things up in November, uh, though it's currently uh, far less than clear exactly how and to what end it may shake things up at this point, I think. Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan said on Tuesday that he is launching an exploratory committee for the 2020 Libertarian President uh, Libertarian Party's presidential nomination. The Republican-turned-independent said on Twitter that the U.S. was ready for new leadership. He also posted a link to a new campaign website he has set up called Amash for America. Sounds like he's running. Uh, he said Americans are ready for practical approaches based in humility and trust of the people. We're ready for a presidency that will restore respect for our Constitution and bring people together. The uh, always libertarian-leaning Amash, who came to Congress aboard the Tea Party election wave of 2010, though unlike many of his fellow Tea Party Republicans, was never actually bat-crap insane like so many of them are. Uh, he announced last July that he was leaving the Republican Party. He said he had become disenchanted with partisan politics and, quote, frightened by what I see from it. The Michigan lawmaker saw his national profile then soar with uh, vocal attacks against Donald Trump in the Trump White House. Last year, he drew ire from the president and fellow Republicans when he said that he would, in fact, back Democrats in their impeachment effort. Uh, and he charged that the president had, in fact, engaged in impeachable conduct even before the impeachment. The impeachable conduct that he described in special counsel Robert Mueller's report on ties between Trump's 2016 campaign and Russia, after which Trump very cleverly called Amash a, quote, total loser. Oh, snap. <laughs> he he nailed it, didn't he? Well, not Way being go, bat Donnie. crap insane yeah. is probably going to be a pretty good slogan these year, this yes, year. Yes, yes. Not bat crap insane, 2020. Amash uh, left the GOP, as I said, last summer. He accused the Republicans of abandoning fiscal conservatism, turning a blind eye to, quote, misbehavior in order to appease the president. Uh, he noted uh, before supporting the House's impeachment resolution last October that this president, quote, this president will be in power for only a short time. But excusing his misbehavior will forever tarnish your name. To my Republican colleagues, he said, step outside your media and social bubble. History will not look kindly on disingenuous, frivolous and false defenses of this man. None of the Republicans that he was speaking to actually bothered to listen, except for maybe Mitt Romney over in the Senate. In addition to rebukes from the GOP, he also received a handful of Republican challengers in his House reelection campaign up in Michigan. The uh, uh, Amash has come under an avalanche of pressure since from libertarians to throw his hat into the ring, according to The Hill. Uh, while he would have to face off against other libertarians to uh, win the party's nomination, he uh, is would almost certainly uh, uh, be the winner. He's the most prominent third-party contender to consider running for the White House this cycle. 
It is unclear, however, if Amash will draw more support away from Donald Trump or from Joe Biden. One GOP operative told The Hill recently that Trump has the Republican Party locked down. So any Republican at this point who is not voting for Trump is a potential Biden voter. And so if you're a uh, Republican who is just tired of the noise and you don't necessarily agree with Biden on the issues and all of a sudden Justin Amash comes along, he said, here's a pretty attractive third party option for you now. So, yes, uh, Amash could definitely hurt Joe Biden's chances of winning, at least as I see it. That's especially true if Biden is unable to unify the party with Sanders voters somehow or another, many of whom I suspect would be delighted to vote for Justin Amash as a libertarian, a, a party that, though theoretically conservative, has found frequent common ground with uh, progressives and greens over the years, particularly on, tr on trade agreements and foreign policy and national security. I, I suspect this will become a very big story in the near future if Amash officially jumps in, uh, as it certainly looks like he is preparing to do now. Uh, Democrats uh, ignore this matter at their own peril, in my opinion. And so do Republicans, by the way. Amash will be a very attractive candidate to a lot of folks from both the right and the left. Uh, you heard it here first. Maybe. Uh, OK, let's uh, take a quick. Any thoughts on uh, who he's going to be, uh, who he was? I think you make an hurt? I think you make an excellent case that he'll actually uh, draw voters away from Biden. From Biden? Sadly. Because, you know, that's for voters who would never want to vote for Biden, but don't actually care if Trump wins a second term. On the other hand, you might have a lot of Republicans who uh, just cannot stomach voting for Donald Trump, who would stay home, who might otherwise now turn out in order to vote for Joe Biden. And that will uh, help uh, potentially help Republicans uh, lower down on the ballot. Uh, so we will see. This is going to be a very, very big story, I think. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with a bit more election news. Uh, some election news that is actually unqualifiedly good. Is that a word? Yes. Unqualifiedly? Or I'm going to make it one. All right, it is. Uh, and then we'll have some economic news, which is much less less good. Uh, but we've got a few audio clips, as I said, that will try to help make the medicine go down a little bit easier, if I can finally get to them. That's ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. That a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. The medicine go down. Medicine. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, here's a little uh, some sugar that I almost don't want to cover uh, at all because I really don't want to embarrass uh, former Kansas uh, Secretary of State and failed Kansas gubernatorial candidate and longtime GOP voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach. I really don't want to embarrass him anymore at least for the time being. No, seriously, because I'm really hoping that Republicans will select him as their nominee to run for the uh, U.S. Senate seat that's being vacated this year by retiring Republican U.S. Senator Pat Roberts in Kansas. Uh, because if Kobach wins the nomination, Democrats 
uh, may have a rather reasonable chance of flipping that Senate seat from red to blue this November uh, because Kobach is such a dope. And that would, of course, radically increase their uh, chances of taking back the majority uh, in the U.S. Senate from Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. So, um, you know, in the bargain, we might have a chance in hell of saving both this country and the world. So, yeah, it's actually kind of important. But other than that, you know, just anyway. Uh, and by the way, and since I don't believe that we have any affiliates in uh, affiliate stations in Kansas, and I'm sure nobody, uh, at least no Republicans from the state, listens or streams the broadcast online. So I'll, I'm going to go ahead with the story. <laughs> okay. After all. All right. The 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled against Kansas's proof of citizenship voter registration requirement in a decision that was issued on Wednesday. The appeals court backed the trial judge's finding that the requirement championed by then-Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach violated both the Equal Protection Clause and the Constitution and... The National Voter Registration Act, which is commonly known as the Motor Voter Law. The American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU of Kansas, um, challenged the law on behalf of the League of Women Voters of Kansas and individual Kansans. The law, according to the ACLU, and now both a U.S. District Judge and the uh, 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel, illegally mandated documentary proof of citizenship, such as a birth certificate or a passport, in order to register to vote. That, in turn, ended up blocking more than 30,000 Kansans from registering to vote. Well, a federal trial court struck down that law, uh, prompting the state's appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals, where they have now lost. Kobach, who led the trial arguments famously for the state about a year or so ago, um, he did maybe more than a year ago. I've lost track of time. He did such an embarrassingly horrible job of it in court that he was sanctioned several times by the judge, including an order for him to attend several hours of legal uh, courses. Remedial legal courses. Yeah, exactly. Um, he could only provide 39 examples of non-citizens being registered to vote in Kansas, in Kansas within the last 19 years. So 39 examples of non-citizens, with most of them, by the way, either registered by accident or not realizing they were not allowed to or being handed a registration, uh, you know, papers at the DMV, filling them out without knowing what they even were and, you know, and then didn't vote at all, as was the case with most of those 39 people. That was what Kobach was trying to do, I guess, well, he claims to stop those 39 people. That was uh, enough to prevent some 30,000 perfectly legal Kansas Kansas voters from being able to vote at all. Well, obviously, that was why he was doing it, knowing you can knock out at least 30,000 perfectly legal and eligible Kansas voters is a victory for Republicans. So that's that's why he did it. If they are the right voters, of course. How many of those voters were his own voters that he knocked out? So the appeals court concluded that the uh, significant burden that the law was shown to impose on voters was not justified by the, quote, incredibly slight evidence that Kansas's interest in counting only the votes of eligible voters 
is under threat. The appeals court said we agree with the secretary that Kansas's interest in counting only the votes of eligible voters is legitimate in the abstract. But on this record, we do not see any evidence that such an interest made it necessary to burden voters' rights here. Uh, so uh, this is uh, unqualifiedly, as I said, good news uh, for voters in Kansas. I'm very happy to see it uh, and to hear it. We will see if this now gets uh, challenged further up the line. A spokesperson uh, appealed further up the line. A spokesperson for Kansas's attorney general's office, which took over arguing the case when it was uh, appealed after Kobach failed so miserably, uh, told TPM in an email that the office was evaluating the court's opinion and will consult with the Secretary of State on next steps. The new Secretary of State is not a radical, insane, right-wing voter fraud fraudster. So he may just say, you know what, this was stupid from the jump. Let's not appeal any further. Yeah, quit while you're ahead. Yeah, Um uh, or behind in this case, but still. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Kobach on Twitter, however, uh, had promised that uh, if appealed to the Supreme Court, quote, it is highly likely that the high court will overturn the decision of the appeals panel. Well, that is true. Uh, that may be the only thing that Chris Kobach has ever been right about, but it might be easy to win at this stolen Republican-majority Supreme Court. So, yeah, uh, hopefully the grown-ups back in, uh, who are still in office back in Kansas will discover that preventing lawful voters from voting is not actually in their best interest, ultimately. And that may be one of the reasons why Kansas now has a Democratic governor who defeated Chris Kobach in the last go-round. Um, but, hey, don't let it stop you from voting for him in the upcoming primary on August 4th to become the next uh, Republican nominee for the U.S. Senate. Uh, one of the three appellate court judges, by the way, who heard the arguments in the case died last month, so did not participate in the final decision. But uh, the two that were left, um, the opinion was written by Judge Jerome Holmes, who is a George W. Bush appointee. And uh, he was joined by uh, Judge Mary Beck Briscoe, a Clinton appointee. Dale Ho, the director of ACLU's Voting Rights Project, argued the case, uh, sent out this statement to us last night, quote, This law disenfranchised tens of thousands of Kansans, denying them the most fundamental right in our democracy. We are gratified the court struck it down and now call upon Kansas Secretary of State Scott Schwab to turn the page on Chris Kobach's sorry legacy of voter suppression, drop any further appeals, and work with us collaborative, collaboratively in the interest of all Kansas voters. So see, there you go. That's There's some, some good, good news. news. Yeah. Some good voting news for you. I knew we would find something today. Uh, in way less good news... Enjoy that sugar. It's not going to last. Uh, the U.S. economy today, uh, well, an the U.S. economy shrank, not today, um, but it shrank at a 4.8 annual rate last quarter, quarter as the uh, coronavirus pandemic shut down much of the country and began triggering a recession that will end the longest U.S. economic expansion on record. The Commerce Department 
says the gross domestic product, or GDP, which is the total output of goods and services, posted a quarterly drop for the first time in six years. And it was the sharpest fall since the economy shrank at an 8.4 annual rate in the fourth quarter of 2008 in the depths of the Great uh, Recession. Now, uh, just because the numbers were not as bad as the Great Recession, don't get too excited just yet. Yes, in the Great Recession, 8.4 annual uh, drop in GDP. What the Commerce Department announced today was 4.8 annual uh, rate in uh, drop in the uh, uh, GDP sounds like good news, but it's not because this drop uh, it was in the first quarter. That was January to March. And uh, they are saying that this is a precursor of a far grimmer GDP report to come out on the current April to June period. With uh, businesses shut down and layoffs striking with devastating force, yes, these numbers that they came out with today are only for the first part of the year, which only included about two weeks of shutdowns that began in mid to late March. And it still fell 4.8% just from those two weeks of shutdowns. So you can only imagine what we're going to see when we have a full three months worth of shutdowns in the uh, in the numbers that come out for the next quarter. The Congressional Budget Office has estimated that GDP will plunge this quarter uh, at are you ready for this? A 40 percent annual rate. That is very, very, very bad. But it, listen, we, we have to be aware of what the facts are and prepare for them. So it is what it is. On the other hand, the CBO is often wrong about stuff. Maybe they'll be wrong here. Well, it doesn't matter whether they are or are not. Obviously, we're going through a huge contraction right now, and that is going to not go away anytime soon. And so we have to buckle up because it's going to get bumpy. Yes, it is going to get bumpy. uh, And it's going to uh, potentially get bumpier. If those numbers hold that 40% annual rate, that would be... Uh, by a huge margin, an unspeakable margin, it would be the bleakest quarter since these records were uh, first compiled back in 1947. It would be four times worse than the worst quarterly contraction actually recorded. That was back in 1958. Um, but uh, yes, this is very likely going to get worse, particularly Uh, If Republicans continue, as they seem to be dead set on, uh, reopening businesses around the country before it is time to do so. Just before air today, uh, Florida Governor, what's his name? Ron DeSantis. DeSantis, Yes. yes. uh, Announced that restaurants were going to be opening in Florida this Monday. That's great. Uh, all of this before and and you got Donald Trump, the White House out there uh, applauding these moves, even though these states opening up, none of them have met the conditions that the White House and the CDC actually put out uh, to say you need to, uh, you know, see a decrease in uh, the infection rate for 14 straight days before doing so. And yet these states, these Republican states now, Georgia, Texas, Florida, Uh, I think Tennessee, South Carolina, as I recall, are all beginning to do this. And what's going to happen is the infection rates are potentially going to spike, leading to new shutdowns, and things are going to get bad yet again. 
I mean, this is just nuts. They're doing it anyway. And then you got Donald Trump out there throwing out one distraction after another, trying to hope that, you know, folks don't notice how terrible this actually is. Well, uh, some good news, if we can call it that, is that none of this is likely to work. Uh, the death toll continues to rise with more Americans now killed over the past six weeks by the coronavirus than in all nine years of the Vietnam War, as we discussed yesterday. So these distractions are not uh, likely to work. Americans are noticing. Uh, so is Stephen Colbert on last week's uh, Late Show. He had a few observations on Trump's attempts to try and gaslight the American people on this one. He believes it ain't going to work. Trump's approval ratings are falling, and two-thirds of Americans say he was too slow to respond to the virus. Disapproval of Trump is spreading faster than, than something. Whatever spreads really quickly if you're dumb enough to ignore it. <laughs> so he is desperate to change the subject, and I'm not the only one who has noticed it. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said this yesterday. He ignores his own responsibility and assigns blame instead of taking responsibility, paying attention to science, recognizing the word or the role of governance in all of this to get the job done for the American people. And so he's engaged in distractions like immigration. They're all distractions away from the fact, the known fact that he's a total failure when it comes to testing. Oh, snap! Mr. President, you may want to get tested because that was one sick burn. <laughs> Here's the thing. Trump's attempt to change the subject to immigration or to China or Iran or to anything is not going to work. One Republican close to the White House told Politico that messaging alone cannot solve the political challenge the pandemic presents for Trump. Trump's normal tricks he uses to change the narrative aren't working because it's hard to come up with a more gripping narrative than stay inside or you might die. You can tweet all you want, but it's hard to capture people's hearts and minds when they're worried about their hearts and lungs. You can't have Bill Barr redact the virus or call Ukraine to get dirt on Hunter virus or get Mitch McConnell to have 51 Republicans vote that there is no virus. You can't even pay the virus $130,000 to stay quiet, which is too bad because this virus is definitely spanking your ass. So if you want to keep your job, you're going to have to do the unthinkable. Your job. You know, make America great again. Trump held another one of his coronavirus distractathons last night, and he tried to put a positive spin on how things are going. We continue to gain ground in the war against the unseen enemy, and I see light at the end of the tunnel. I actually see a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, and we're uh, starting the process. So uh, the light is getting brighter and brighter every day. The light is also making a really, really fun train noise. Woo-woo! Everybody keeps yelling, Mr. President, get off the tracks. But I'm staying focused on that approaching light. It's coming pretty fast. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think uh, it may be here. Uh, let's take a quick break. That was Stephen Colbert. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with one more clip that I've been trying to get to now for a, a week or so. And it's one that you will want to hear, though you may need to cover your children's ears first, uh, especially if Desi Doyen screwed up on any of her bleeping on this clip. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Uh, we have been checking in regularly over the past several weeks with our friend David Dayen, the uh, investigative financial journalist, executive editor at the American Prospect, uh, author of its must-read unsanitized column where he's been uncovering boatloads of stories about the miserable failure of the measures taken by the federal government, by Congress and the president today to try to shore up the quickly sinking economy in the U.S. Uh, well, it's print week for the prospect this week, so David will not be able to uh, to be with us here, but he's sort of here uh, in spirit because uh, I had asked him uh, when I think when we first had him on the show a few weeks ago, uh, to discuss all of this uh, about the idea that, uh, you know, can we just stop paying rent and stop paying mortgage, period, everywhere across the country for the duration of the crisis uh, since people are out of work, have no money to pay? He told me that is something called forbearance and that, in fact, some states are doing that sort of. They're preventing evictions for the time being. They're suspending some mortgage payments, but they have not given people a, a complete moratorium, uh, you know, by adding those payments to the end of the mortgages. Uh, as New York comedian Vic Tibetic points out in this clip that went viral last week. Um, and well, because he's a New York comedian, I'm hoping and praying that Desi was uh, successful in her bleeping of this piece here. But it's kind of fun. And both politically and financially, uh, Tibetic, I think, is right on the mark. It's a very ticked off Vic here. You know what ticks me off? Having to tell the government what to do because they have their heads in their asses. Now, follow me. There's something that's been bothering me. So I'm just going to say it now. Dear government. We understand that the virus is not your fault. It happened. It is what it is. I'm not going to get into that idea that maybe you could have acted sooner. We can deal with that when this is all over. But here's the deal. We need a real plan. It was the right move to make everyone stay home because that's the only way to deal with a virus like this. But here's where I have a problem. So... You told us to shut down non-essential businesses. You told us to go home and quarantine. You told us we have to keep social distance and stay inside. But you told us you would help. So where is the f***ing help? These checks are what they are. I mean, let's be serious. I'm not going to turn away 1200 bucks because, number one, if you're going to give it to me, I'm taking it. And number two, it's our f***ing money, not <laughs> yours. It's ours. We paid that in taxes for everything we do every Day. So, okay, look at the typical family, mortgage payment, health care payment, car payments, electric, water, garbage, phone, blah, 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 blah. So maybe, maybe the 1200 covers the mortgage. But what about all the other costs that we have each month? This $1,200 thing isn't doing shit for the normal working family. You want to help? Here's one idea. Tell the f***ing banks and mortgage companies to stop all mortgage payments at this time. Just stop them. And don't give me that three-month furlough bull. How does that even make sense? So someone who lost their job because you said to stay at home doesn't pay mortgage for three months, but in the fourth month they had to not only pay that month that's due, but also the three months they owed in full because it was furloughed? How the f*** does that help, you greedy <laughs> Someone was just unemployed 
not earning money for three months. They weren't earning money. Hello. Now they just start back to work and all that money magically appears so they can pay the three months in a lump sum. How are they paying that? Are you idiots? Look, it almost makes sense that they can stop paying the current mortgage due for the month when they go back to work. But they can't pay the prior three months. They had no income. So here's the idea. Just add the three months of furlough to the back end of the loan. So if they have, let's say, 19 years and six months left in their mortgage, just add the three months. Tonight they have 19 years and nine months. How hard is that? You'll get your money, you bags. It's just delayed. The working <laughs> stiff wins if you do that. It really helps. It actually helps. And what is up with these banks and lending ass? I mean, come on. You literally make billions of dollars in profit quarterly. That's every three months. The last crash was 10 years ago. So have so you have 10 years of massive profits and you need a bailout after two weeks of a shutdown? How come we, the people, have to save for a rainy day, but you save nothing? Every quarter that you made three billion in profit profit not income profit all <laughs> that means you paid all your salaries and bills and everything you needed to pay to run a company for three months so every time you made three billion in a quarter if you had just put one billion in the bank you'd have 40 billion in the bank after 10 years that's not even including interest but no you greedy <laughs> have to get bailed out again from our taxpayer money and then you us by not giving us a real break on our mortgages credit card bills or car payments or anything and the government allows this we get we bail you out we get rinse lather repeat you dirt neck should have had more than enough money to keep paying your workers and give everyone a break in mortgage payments the way I said for the time being. And again, I'm not saying to wipe the slate clean. I'm saying to just add the missing mortgage payment to the back end of everyone's loans. Do it for everything. The car lease is now three months longer. The credit card payment is now three months longer. The mortgage payment is now three months longer. You want to help the American worker, you can eliminate all payments due until this is over. That way, unemployment and stimulus checks would only be needed for food. That is what the American family needs now. That would help us, you greedy c***ers and you government lackeys who to the big corporations and shit on the people are just as bad. Shame on you all. There could be a real plan in place, a real plan to get people through these next few months, a real plan to be testing, a real plan to allow workers who are considered non-essential to not worry about catching a virus and losing their house. Do you do the right thing, you peckerheads. Having to tell the government what to do because they have their heads in their asses, that's what ticks me off. <laughs> well said, Vic. Uh, I think he is ticked off, uh, Vic Tibetic. I think he's a New Yorker, if I'm pretty, uh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, thanks, Vic. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. You can download our shows anytime for free at bradblog.com. And our thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Gotta get out. Talk to you soon. Tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 